Dead men tell no tales. Fifty men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 40 of Dead Man's Chest. Happy Valentine's Day! Is it Valentine's Day? Yes, it is! Love for sale. (laughs) Before we commence with the shenanigans, actually, I need to give a shout out to listener Daniel. Yeah, so far we're doing some listener shout outs this week. Hey, Daniel. The force is strong with this one. Yeah, okay, maybe that's the wrong movie. So maybe I should say the Aztec curse is strong with him. Not that he's cursed skeleton pirate, or maybe he is. I don't know. Where are you going with this? I don't judge much, okay? Let's just say that. Anyways... He took a stab at the question we pondered a while back regarding Elizabeth Swan's comment to Will that when he returns, he will marry her properly. Okay. The keyword properly. We were wondering what the hell that meant since her father just dropped a pretty pence to give her a proper wedding in the first place. Okay, albeit it got rained out, but I doubt there were refunds back in the day. I just don't see that happening. He is the governor. That's true. He is the governor. That was a proper wedding was our point. So what in the hell did she mean? That was our question. Point counterpoint, or point question. Well, Daniel, spoilers for those who are on the late show to seeing this decade-old movie. Some people are just busy, I guess, out there and didn't have time to see Dead Man's Chest. Yeah, get out there and see Dead Man's Chest, about time. They don't have time, maybe, to have a show breaking down pirate movies one blimey minute at a time. Hmm, That's I wonder what's going on there. Yeah, now those people obviously need some intervention. They do. People who break down pirate movies one minute at a time do. (laughs) Anyways, Daniel suggested that Elizabeth just meant a real fancy to-do wedding. I'm paraphrasing here. I didn't actually write down his quote. How do you quote somebody if you don't write down his quote? That's right. I didn't quote him. I said I'm paraphrasing. This is as opposed to some half-assed wedding on a ship in which they tie the knot by a captain. That was kind of his point. So there you go. So she wants a fancy to-do rather than uh, be married by Jack. Be married by Jack. I don't know if you've seen these movies. No. Okay, this all gets lost on Heather because she's obviously never seen this movie or the next movie. So there you go. Not only did he potentially nail it, but it actually sparked a completely new idea that is maybe the opposite of that. It gets back to the notion that Terry and Ted like to throw out these subtle hints in the movie about things to come later or in Pirates 3 at World's End. Well, actually, Daniel was talking about that as well because he's alluding to something that happens maybe later on in the film or in Pirates 3... That Terry and Ted did throughout just to kind of tongue-in-cheek the whole a half-assed pirate captain wedding on a ship deal as opposed to this proper wedding. Anyways, I'm going to save my tangent for a later discussion just because I don't want to get into it for right now because I think it'll be good when we come up 
and actually tackle that minute, we can look back on what a proper wedding is. But let's just, for a quick kind of teaser for people to hear it, a proper wedding to Elizabeth is not the pomp and circumstance that she was getting there because of where her heart really lies and who she really is and what she's been enthralled with her entire life. And that is swashbuckler action. We'll just say that. So yeah, anyways, I just wanted to say thanks to Daniel for the thoughts and the inspiration out there on that. In the previous minute, our bridge native Pelagostos run into camp, frantically talking to the tribe, Dalitazo, Dalitozo, Hailapakasese, which means, what in the hell? No one told me we were having a barbecue today. And by the way, I just checked our pantry and all the food's gone. All this happens as the partying tribe members get a little uneasy with the sudden appearance of the only Pelagostos not on the invite list. It's always a little embarrassing when someone shows up and they haven't been invited. That it is. And that's this guy. This poor Pelagosto guy. He was just minding his business, doing his bridge duty. Yeah, he would have letting people the party. escape and people die in the. Maybe that's why he wasn't invited. It's like this oh, guy maybe. always lets our food get away. Anyways, as they all look to Chief Jack, he tells them Pelala, which means, "Geez, your invitation must have gotten lost in the mail." Meanwhile, the pirate livestock managed to make their way to the top of the ravine, and Jack tries out the latest exercise fad. Didn't his parents teach him not to play by the fire? <laughs> Minute 40 begins with the angry Pelagosos running to recapture the remaining Motley crew. Successfully freeing the bone cage from its rope, the crew set the ball in motion for a rolling escape. The minute ends with Jack Sparrow walking along the low stone wall of the Pelagosos village with his arms and torso still tied to the bamboo pole. As he tries to free himself from the ties that bind him, he realizes a lone Pelagosos boy is staring at him with a knife and fork in hand. I don't know if that's... Okay. I don't know if that's creepy... Or if it's sad. The kid with the fork and knife? Yeah. I don't know if that's creepy or sad, actually. He's just all ready to eat, Jack. Yeah. I know. I'm still torn on. What is that? Is that just creepy or sadness? Did you see the drool coming out of his mouth? (laughs) No, he didn't have drool. (laughs) Let me just say how nice and refreshing it is to get a hungry jungle, angry natives trope thing here. Ah, it's always good to see Hollywood doing something different. Just love that. (laughs) I wish that was my activist attitude, but you know, I just... Don't harbor any ill will for that. I have a lot of ill will inside. It's like a blackened heart I got. Yeah. Shriveled blackened heart. Plain old pirate fun as far as I'm concerned with a dash of paprika and cannibal stereotyping. <laughs> I think you're allowed to stereotype cannibals, right? Yeah. That's not oh, yeah. on the outs. It's not politically incorrect. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's just, that's just scary stuff right there. Silence of the pirates kind of thing going on there. It's a little charming, actually. Mm. You think charming, someone... really? No, not you. Oh. The, uh, well, I don't want to na- really. Is it charming more of a man no, characteristic the than no, a woman? No, not the person, the natives running after the hungry oh. natives. Oh, chasing not the down. sound of. No, not. No, we're done with your sound of Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I thought you were calling that no, charming. No, that's not charming. That's just creepy. <laughs> and it's disturbing coming from you because you've done it a multiple <laughs> times now. I think on the show as well. So. There's We're something talking about there. cannibals. He's a cannibal, so... That's true. It's kind of fitting. So charming that isn't. You'd think someone who wallows in symbolism when I can find it, and sometimes when I don't find it. But like Freud said, sometimes a pirate is just a hunk of long pork. Hell, what do we expect? The people Freud are escaping. Freud said that, huh? Yeah, Freud said that. Long pork or... Long pork. Sometimes a cigar... Oh, damn it. Now look what you made me do. You messed it up. <laughs> sometimes a pirate is just a hunk of long pork. Damn it. <laughs> Are they just going to let their dinner run away? I mean, we, can, we know that they can't do that. 
It's not like the pirates were in a cauldron with water getting ready to boil. Now that's a movie cannibal well, cliche right there. He's still the chief. Yeah. Right? So maybe they don't know exactly what's going on. These these uh, ghosts that are standing there. You know, maybe he they kind of wonder, uh, should we go after this chief? Or should we see what's going on first? Since Heather wants to jump, even though I was talking about the hungry natives chasing the bone ball, you had to go back to Cannibal Boy. <laughs> even though I just kind of used that as an opener since we just talked about it. Your mind works in mysterious ways, I must say. It's like a thing pops in there. You just got to run with it. You I got that right, okay. buddy. Yeah. It's our little hungry cannibal boy is what you were talking about there. Because I have some thoughts on that. Okay. Well, let's just get some of the other stuff out. And then I'm going to roll into about his thoughts. Okay. But you you know the cannibal boy's thoughts? Yeah. Or I you know have thoughts the on the cannibal I have, boy? I know both, actually. Okay. Okay. Let's just do what you want to do first so we don't get hung up here. Is he is not sure what is actually happening. Because he doesn't know what's going on. The cannibal boy is sitting there going, this is our chief. He wants to be released from his fleshy body. Why on earth would he be doing this? He's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. So you're correct. He is confused about it, along with everybody else. Because they can't fathom that he would be doing this. It's the same thing when Jack walks out of the hut of horrors. He shows up, everyone's looking at him like, what are you doing escaping? And then he tries to play it off with some paprika. Some seasonings. That's the point is it's kind of out of the realm for them of what's going on. Because they expect him to play along. This is their kind of religion, right? Yes. So that's all I have to say. So maybe you are right. But we could have gotten there in time. It would have been a nice build up to that. But no, you wanted to get it out of the way right away. Our hungry little cannibal boy was played by none other than Rupert Grint. You might know him better as Ron Weasley in Harry Potter. Seriously? Yeah. Rupert was given a healthy dose of spray tan and molded fake teeth for the sharpened look some of the other cannibals have. He was meant to have a larger role joining kind of the sailing and the motley crew on the Black Pearl, but Harry Potter filming got in the way. Oh, I have to check him out better. I can't believe you didn't look into this. You didn't even see it anywhere. Now you're giving me the wide-eyed look like I can't believe I dropped the ball on this. A complete Harry Potter tie-in. Harry Potter minute, y'all. Wow. Okay, no. Cannibal Boy was actually played by Neil Panla CG. Really? Yeah. My fake news story about Cannibal Boy was so much more exciting, though. Ron Weasley plays a cannibal in the Caribbean. Yeah. It's way better, right? Yeah. Not that I have anything against Neil here. Has that shock value, though. Your eyes got wide. I don't know what? You're like, how I did I, I miss I would have recognized him. You didn't. And then you thought you dropped the ball. You're like, I can't believe I didn't scrutinize this minute better. That's what you get for the so half-assed rude. notes over there. And I brought you wine. After you drank most of it. But nope. It goes to Neil. And according to IMDB, this is his only movie credit. I'm sure he had a great time, though. There are some photos floating around with him and nice guy Johnny Depp posing for photos with him. With his giddy up on. Like his painted eyes, but then he's wearing other clothes. So he doesn't have like the full wig and hat and all that kind of stuff on. But he just has the painted eyes. So yeah. Tried to track him down. Found a rather bleak Facebook page and some old photos from him as a kid related to the Seattle talent agent and modeling agency. But that was it. I figured spending too much time on this was not going to really pay off. So you guessed it. I hired a private investigator to do the legwork for me. And I'll let you know what I find out. And I also didn't wanna, him right now? Yeah, I also didn't want to be labeled as an internet stalker from trying to find this kid. <laughs> not that he's a kid anymore, but be like, oh, there's some weirdo thinking that I'm still part of this cannibal tribe or something. No, I didn't want that. 
<laughs> Maybe he became a real cannibal tribe. It's possible. That's why he disappeared. Well, you know, Rupert you got know. a lot of paychecks from Harry Potter, and so he just left. Ah, you bought that hook, line, and sinker. What do you think of the rolling bone cage? I didn't say rolling bone balls. I said rolling bone cage. <laughs> Marty's going to fall out. That's a good thought, I guess. Well, okay. <laughs> does it work or doesn't it work? I mean, how explicit do I have to get here? You with would you? have to totally... Okay, let's think of this. And you're rolling in this bone cage. It's got these humongous holes, right? Yeah. You would have to totally brace yourself with all four and hang on, but don't squish your fingers. Because if anything goes out those holes, you're going to lose it. Lose it or break it, maybe. Yeah. Either way. One or, the, okay. one or the other. And you've got six guys in this thing rolling down the hill? Some people call that a party. Six guys <laughs> and a rolling ball. <laughs> it seems pretty dangerous if you ask me. What did you think about it as something for the movie? The humor element? It was very humorous. Wow, that was a lot of liveliness there. No, oh, I, I say, I, it was a lot of humor. I found this. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to apologize to our UK listeners because that was, A, a failed attempt at some kind of British professor kind of thing. It failed horribly. And now we're going to lose all of our listeners across the pond. Heather made me do it. Let's just say that. Send all your hate mail to Heather. Okay, go ahead. I think that this minute and the next minute have a lot of gag humor. Definitely. That way. Yeah. You know, it's stuff that wouldn't couldn't happen in real life or you'd be broken like yeah. nobody's business. And another thing is this bone cage. Some of the holes in this bone cage are big enough for a human to fit through. They also made that bone cage really sturdy that it's holding up like this. <laughs> right. These guys are fast workers. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was fine. I didn't have a problem with it no. necessarily. Actually, it was no great shock because I figured that being this is a Disney movie, it would give us the humorous escape by rolling a ball routine. Right. The bone cage, it was just asking for it. I wasn't surprised by this. When you see a bone cage and it gets to the top and he says, cut the rope as opposed to, okay, everybody climb out. Yeah. Then I'm going, this thing's going to be rolling here. Right. And it's nothing new. I mean, we've seen it other places. I don't know Indiana quite where. Jones? No, he didn't. Walk the plank. He didn't roll in the ball. He ran from a rolling stone. Oh, that's what it was. But I think for its fun and appropriate for this swashbuckler, oh, yeah. I don't think it's out of its element. No, I think it's a good um, humor a couple of minutes. Yeah, I didn't necessarily look at it and go, that's too crazy over no, the top. No. I think it was bordering on some of the over the top stuff. Okay, let me say this. I do have a couple of small problems, okay? <laughs> Yes. Of course you do. Yes. I tried to preface it. Now I'm going to say, okay, I like that. But I, like I said, I do have a couple of problems here. I wouldn't really characterize them necessarily as problems, though. It's a running theme that I've seen in movies when it involves fences or cages or something like that, okay? When the bars are spaced far enough apart that the people could squeeze through them if necessary. And I'm not just pointing my fingers at Dead Man's chest here. But hell, I'm looking at you, Jurassic Park. Damn you, Dr. Grant. Have those freaking kids, Tim and Lex, crawl through the space in the fence. Do it, man. Rather than over the fence and you get betcha. electrocuted? Yeah, there's dinosaurs, man. Dinosaurs. And did I forget, like Heather said, electricity coming. Electricity. 
enough electricity to ward off a giant lizard. Yeah. Okay. The kid's I lucky say, to be alive. Yeah, I say giant lizard. This is my ode to nomenclature right there. I know they're not giant lizards. Okay. But it's my Victorian science props. I'm giving a shout out to Victorian science for that. You know, terrible lizards. Okay. The bone cage falls into this category too. They could easily escape the cage. Put your mind to it, Gibbs. But does it serve the purpose of the movie to have them pick it up and run? Okay, yeah, humor it is. I wonder if they make the spacing large enough not to obstruct the faces of the actors, actually. Is that why they do this? Picking up and run is not till next minute. I know, but I had to put it in there. This is foreshadowing. I'm like, I'm at the (laughs) skill level of Terry and Ted when I throw things in there subtly. That you go, oh, I wonder if that's what they're going to do. And the next minute surely happens. I kind of foretold it. Of course the holes are big enough to see the people's faces. You have to be able to get a good view of what's, who is inside this bone cage. And if you had the holes smaller, you wouldn't get a good view of the people in there. Yeah, the bars were too close, the actors would be obscured. Right. Which doesn't translate well to the big screen, I guess. Exactly. So you got to have it big enough where you can see people. And you couldn't see what Marty's doing in there. And that's the most important part. Yeah, you're really... I'm going to tell Marty that you got a real hankering for his stuff going on here. <laughs> um, Let him know what Please he says. don't tell him that. Hey, we communicated on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Second small issue, this is more than the bone cage spaces, okay? It's the roll up the palm trees thing. Oh, yeah, 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 that. What? Excuse me? Am I not talking here? How dare you? <laughs> These two trees, boy, the wine is, you've got your, are you okay over there, madam? I think you've, you're, wait, did you pass out? No. Oh, no, you, there you are. Okay. You just fell to the ground for a minute. I, I see you got back up safely. Because those two trees were not at an, uh, okay, science. These two trees were not in an optimal angle, an optimal slope, to allow the cage to roll up it like that. So far up it. That's my eyeballing and calculations right there. Okay, but we're not talking science and movies. Yeah, they needed better palm trees, but perhaps they just didn't have any on the island that would suffice. That's my rolling thoughts right there. They needed better palm trees. Because these that. palm trees were pretty much straight. Well, they weren't straight. Almost. They're not 90 degree angle things going on here. Okay. But... They rolled up it pretty far and yeah, okay. I mean, by the way, just have to give a shout out to one of the cannibals who's centered in the frame. He does this running jump off the tree while chasing the rolling cage. I don't know if you noticed it. It's like this superhero pose in the air. Almost a freeze frame of native throwing the spear trope here. And I love that shot. It's like, well done, sir. Well done. I mean, you tricked me too. Every time I see it, I think he's going to throw the spear and we're going to cut back and see it land near Gibbs or something. But no, he lands with it. That guy faked me out. <laughs> what the hell? Throw that spear. Don't throw that spear. But don't run up and pretend like you're going to throw it. And the Superman pose he it. He thought it was going to be a good time to throw it, but it wasn't. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It, it's pretty cool. I like it. Yes. Every time I see it, I go, that's just sweet. It's only like a second. <laughs> hell, while I'm at it, I might as well continue on with a list of my favorite things from this minute. These are a few of my favorite, favorite things. things. And that native fake spear throw was number one. So we'll just start there. So my second has to be Gibbs bringing in some of his old school colloquialisms here. Lift it like a lady's skirt. Ah, Gibbs, you just brighten my day with your down-home pirate charm. So basically when I told you earlier that it was kind of foreshadowing something in the next minute, I was basically lying to you because I knew that this was in this minute, but I just wanted to see you sweat it out as you came to it again and we're going to try and call me on it. It's my evilness coming out. Whatever, dude. Anyways, yeah. 
Lift it like a lady's skirt. I mean, his down-home pirate charm. I just love it. <laughs> and that's a phrase any of us that really can use at work. Next time you need to <laughs> lift something or you're telling your employees to lift something, give it the old lift it like a lady's skirt. It's sure to bring a smile and maybe a trip to the HR office. Yeah, please don't do that unless you choose to visit the HR office. Possibly. I mean, come on. Depends who you say it around. We'll put it that way. Pirates of the Caribbean does not endorse going to the HR office. In fact, Pirates of the Caribbean Minute does not endorse HR offices. There we go. Make sure you know your co-employees very well before you use that phrase. Yeah, like you've lifted their skirts before. No, don't do that. That's how well you need to know them. (laughs) Number three, and the last on my list because it was just a short list. That's a very short list for you. I just, because I had, if it goes over two, I call it a list. If it's not, then it's not. Jack Sparrow's walking that stone wall while attempting to escape. He's still tied to the pole, okay? Yep. Behind him is a sparsely leaf tree with a bunch of skeleton sculptures hanging from it. You know, the branches, they have these skeletons. Skeletons. That's a new word I've coined. It's like a partial skeleton thing. (laughs) Skeletons. Skulls with these artistic smallish bodies. Did you see those hanging in the tree? No. You didn't. How could you not? I don't know. I mean, you don't scrutinize enough over there. I seen the skulls in the wall. <sighs> Nobody Did cares about that? the skulls in the wall. Yes, we've seen those before. We're talking dangling skulls. Reminds me of some voodoo stuff. The hanging ones. Actually, maybe it reminds me of that creepy place in Mexico called Island of the Dolls. It's a crazy place, especially at night where all these tired, weathered old dolls and toys. Well, let me just say, creepy is an understatement for this. It's these... Dolls and Wasn't toys. Was that in a movie? No. Anyways, it's not in a movie. It's in like Expedition Unknown or Destination Truth with Josh Gates. Anyways, this whole story is is to quell the tormented screams of a ghost of a little girl who drowned there. It's not a place for the faint of heart. Wandering around there at night. Anyways, this reminds me of that place, but on a much smaller scale. And it also gave me a bit of the Blair Witch Project vibe. Creepy symbols hanging around. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see that if I'm in the forest or the jungle. No, not at all. Nor do I want to hear drums. No, that wouldn't no be good either. either. Yeah, that's what I don't want. No screaming. No screaming. Mm-mm. And where I really... This is why I complained earlier on. Okay, we're off the kind of my list thing here, as I was saying. in the symbols and all that stuff. And I had Cannibal Boy I wanted to talk about in the end because it really had this good transition to what I wanted to end the show on. It looks like he's ready to eat some long pork. Well, it does, but he had a fork, and then we could have transitioned into it because the cannibal boy, as you were just saying, has this fork. It's like ready to go. And I came across this poem from the 60s that actually is about a fork. In fact, it's titled The Fork, okay? And even mentions a cannibal in it. Really? Yeah. And this would have been a perfect transition, but because of your crazy jumping around bouncy house routine, now I have to come back and try and make up and tell people, okay, this is really, this was planned. But anyways, it's the work of Charles Simic. This strange thing must have crept right out of hell. It resembles a bird's foot worn around the cannibal's neck. As you hold it in your hand, as you stab with it into a piece of meat, it is possible to imagine the rest of the bird, its head, which, like your fist, is large, bald, beakless, and blind. Good morning. Yeah. Anyways, where I was going with this is that the fork is a latecomer to the table. And this is where I get this, oh, are we going to talk about history? Oh my God, yes. This boy invented the fork? History. No, the boy didn't invent the fork. Get out of here. Okay? The wine is taking control of your mind. Children. You said it was a latecomer. Alcohol is dangerous, as you can see with Heather. 
Knives are the descendants of the sharpened hand axe. The oldest, well, okay, the oldest. What the hell kind of word is the oldest? I have no clue. The oldest debatable human tool. It's, I said it's debatable. It is likely that the first spoons are derived from whichever local objects were used to scoop up liquid. The word for spoon in both Latin and Greek derives from a snail shell, while the Anglo-Saxon spawn, spoon, spoon, means chip. The shape of the fork has been around a lot longer than the eating utensil. Poseidon brandished a trident while mortals had large fork tools to pull food out of boiling pots. But the fork didn't have a place at the Greek table where people used spoons, knife points, and their hands. Sporadically, the fork made inroads. In the 8th or 9th century, some Persian nobility may have used a fork-like tool. In the 11th century, forks were in use in the Byzantine Empire. And you're going to be shocked by this. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, you're thinking fork history. This isn't exciting, but yeah, it's a shock value here. When you hear about when I said latecomer to the table, I wasn't kidding about the fork. It's been around ever since I've been around, so I thought it must have been a staple. But no, in the Middle Ages, most people ate off rounds of stale bread called trenchers, which could hold cooked meat and vegetables, and which could be brought directly to the mouth. Knives and spoons could handle anything else that a hand couldn't. Forks. Having journeyed from Italy to Byzantium, arrived in France along with Catherine de' Medici, who traveled in 1533 from Italy to France to marry Henry II. At this time, most forks were two-pronged and either hefty enough to hold down a cut of meat, almost like a carving fork today maybe, or they were so dainty that they were used primarily to eat sweets at the end of meals. Forks were used occasionally, but not every day. Get this though. Author Carolyn Young found that British sailors were still eating without forks in 1897. Seriously? Considering them to be unmanly. Wow. I told you you'd be shocked. No more forks for you. No, I'm manly enough to eat with a fork though now. Oh, it's unmanly. No, then. Now, I'm so manly though that I can use non-manly things and still be manly. That's why you don't use a straw? Yeah, exactly. Depends where I'm at. It wasn't until the late 1600s and early 1700s that people began to purchase multiple sets of silverware for their homes, which were just beginning to be equipped with rooms specifically set aside for dining. It was also around this time that forks with three and then four tines were made available, which is what we see here, a three-tine fork by our young cannibal dude. And I could go on and on, but hey, this isn't a fork show, or maybe a new podcast where we talk about the exciting world of utensils is on the horizon. Hmm. I haven't come up with the name of that yet. So that's it. Fork this. <laughs> that's right. I mean, seriously, fork this. That's a good one. I think we're going to do this. It'd be like a good place kind of reference. Exactly. That's where I was going. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, so that's really all I got. It, it's just crazy to think that in 1897, people still weren't using forks. They're like, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Come on. But that's all I got. Wrapping up with these newfangled three-tine forks, the better proper and cannibal etiquette way to eat a pirate, I think. That's all I have to say. That's it for me. Ah, oh, I gotta be done. Got this, like, crazy wine hangover thing going on now. I meant you. You were the one who was passed out on the floor earlier. Floor. Floor. <laughs> How dare you? And I got the wine hangover? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll be back on Friday with Minute 41 of Man's Dead Chest. Oh, I mean Dead Man's Chest. <laughs> Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling and the wine consumption... To a minimum. Not the wine consumption. No. You've been listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags.
Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed. Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and season two is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew Listeners Group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bildrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest, well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.